Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. And today we're talking comfort games, games that are intuitive to play, easy to set up, low on conflict, easy to get to the table, play back to back. We'll talk more about what games we feel fit into this banner, this umbrella of comfort games a little bit later on in the show. Uh, But some games in my mind that sort of fall into this category are games like Cascadia or Welcome to. Oh, spoilers. Oh, yeah. We're just right off the bat spoiling things. But this is a style of games that's grown a lot in popularity in recent years. Uh, So we thought it'd be nice to have a conversation about about games in this genre, what we like uh, about games in the genre, maybe some of the things that typically might frustrate us or make us less likely to engage with games in the genre. And then at the end of the show, we'll talk about standout games that are comfort games for each of us. And I say genre, I think it's more like a family of games because I think genre typically maybe refers to certain mechanisms. Right, like roll and write games are a genre. I think comfort games is sort of like a shared group of games that share similar characteristics, even if the mechanisms that help them become comfort games are different. Yeah, that's interesting. I think it could also span, you know, what we typically consider dividing lines in our genre, more like American style conflict games and mm. European style games. Maybe they fall more onto the Euro side of things, but definitely not squarely in one or another. It's kind of like an oval that you would draw across the top. Yeah. And, you know, Jake, what kicked this kind of off in my mind and somewhat was that the Spiel the Yards... 2023 nominations came out recently. So we know what games are going to be nominated for this really prestigious award in the board game hobby. This is the the biggest board game award there is, but it's also a German family game award. So last year, Cascadia, one of the games I mentioned, won. That was a a comfort game. And then this year, two of the games nominated are comfort games. And then one of them is more of like a party game. Uh, So one of them is Dorf Romantique, a cooperative tile laying game in which basically you get a it's perfect information uh, and players are given these goals that they have to make true based on what's out there and once that's completed a new goal is revealed so it's this gentle tiling game in which there's low conflict everyone's working together to accomplish these shared objectives uh, so that's one of them the other one is next station london by matthew dunstan that's a roll and write game in which people are sort of uh, drawing paths throughout london draw, filling out subway stations that's in this sort of welcome to cartographer well cartographers actually has more interaction but in the sort of welcome to vein of roll and rights that are low interactive games that you all play simultaneously and then the third game was fun facts by casper lap and um, and repost productions who've done really famous party games as of late like just one or so clover so this game might be a comfort game it's a little more active interactive because it's sort of you're writing down i believe numbers based on these prompts and then comparing them so there's a little bit more interaction that game but probably potentially a comfort game as well though in my mind fits a little bit less in that mold when we talk about more defining comfort games that's an interesting example to bring up sort of where party games fall into that and i would say sometimes yes sometimes no yeah (laughs) yeah and maybe we'll sort of parse those differences later on the episode but we just want to sort of mention that because this is sort of interesting thing that's been happening with the spill the yards where a lot of the games that are nominated are comfort games uh, and that award has shifted a lot over the last you know, it's been around for 30 years or something, I think maybe even longer. Uh, and the the types of games that are winning this BDRs now are very different than maybe were in the early 90s. They've created the Kinner BDRs to be a little bit more uh, heavier, more strategic games. Challengers is nominated for that this year. A favorite of ours on the show, Broom Service, won that a, a mini like five years ago now, maybe more actually. Yeah. So insane that just as an aside, the, that Challengers is a Kenner Spiel game just blows my mind every time I hear it. Just that game is so incredibly light. And maybe a big part of it, though, is that it is slightly more interactive. Yeah. At least on the ID. Yeah. yeah. So maybe partially there's this perception of the Spiel Yars games wanting because they're aimed more towards family as maybe pushing less interactive, less conflict driven a game that anyone could pick up and enjoy. I don't know. And, you know, I think anyone can pick up and play interactive games and enjoy them myself. But it's just uh, this interesting observation of something that seems to be happening that I wanted to kick off the episode with. No, I think that's great. And maybe we should just get right into our discussion of what comfort games are. 
I'm thinking back to the early days of the pandemic, which I know nobody wants to talk about or hear about, (laughs) but there was sort of a global phenomenon, which was that the new Animal Crossing game came out for Switch and everybody was playing this game just being stuck inside their house and it was sort of a i think like a a comfort game moment outside of the medium of board game of course as a video game if you don't know animal crossing you're basically play as a, a little character on an island and you kind of spruce up your island you can get plants clear weeds uh go fishing first fish and put them in the museum and you're sort of just like making your island nice and it's just a really sort of meditative relaxing experience to sort of wander around on on your on your pleasant island yeah totally devoid of conflict in any way and then also it's kind of the you know one thing that defines comfort games for me or is much more likely to create games that are comfort games is personal zones of play where i'm working on something in my own space and no one's going to be interacting with that space in a meaningful way so maybe it's a roll and write game where I have my own sheet that I'm the only one drawing on. Or maybe it's Cascadia where I'm laying tiles in my own area. And I think Animal Crossing as a video game is is sort of that, except the personal zone of play is just like the whole game. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up as a starting point is just because especially at that time and you know i think even now there's really sort of an appetite maybe more so than in the past for comfort games like these activities that you can just go to as you know an active way to relax and really <laughs> breathe together and just do this thing because it's pleasant full stop totally i think part of them being comforting for me too jake outside of conflict is also sort of easy to play easy to set up and easy to remember the rules if there's any rough edges i have to put in more work to sort of get that game to the table which i'm willing to do for a ton of the games that i want to play but i think that make pushes it less towards the comfort game zone where for me comfort games are something where maybe my wife and i maya can sit down and you know it's it's a Wednesday night. We're a little tired, but we'd love to play a game. Maybe we're going to gravitate more towards a comfort game than we're going to gravitate towards playing something like To Call or something, right? Yeah. So we'll pick up a quick roll and write game and play that. Uh, I have the rules memorized, so it's easy to get to the table. It's not difficult to set up. Uh, so it, it just invites itself to the table more frequently. There's lower barriers. Totally. And yeah, now that we're, we're sort of getting into the things that define comfort games to us i think it's also important to say at the front because this is sort of uh expansive you know subsection of games not Mm -hmm. really a specific genre i think unlike you know people can argue and do all the time in our discord holy cow about what is a worker placement game like what fits in the worker placement game genre but you know i think that is a lot more specific right you sort of know it when you see it almost you know even if you know, there might be edge cases or some people don't always agree in all cases. Like we have a pretty clear shared understanding of sort of like objective rationale for what would make a worker placement game, a worker placement game, where I do think, you know, going into this definition of it and, and the, you know, factors that we think make it more likely that a game is a comfort game. I think here it is more subjective, right? It's funny that you bring up T-Call too, because I could see for somebody listening to this podcast that could very easily fit into a comfort game, perhaps especially if that was sort of, the types of games that this listener was playing as they sort of discovered the hobby you know maybe to call as a game that they've been playing since it came out in 1999 or whatever it was uh and now you know so many years on it's like okay i can just get that table and breeze i have a core group of friends everybody knows it well that's what we're gonna go to that's like the comfort experience that we go back to when we want to just chill and relax yeah another thing that makes games comfort games in my mind or makes them more likely to be successful as comfort games is when you walk away from the game with a sense of accomplishment at the end of play like you have your roll and write worksheet that you can show off to everyone right or your board in cascadia is really neat so you want to take a picture of it and a game that falls into that category for me that i think is sort of what you're talking about where some games are going to be right on the line and for certain groups they might move towards comfort games and for others they might move away depending on your own appetite or a proclivity for conflict is a game like azul which Maya and i will play as a comfort game even though the interaction of the tile drafting can be quite conflict driven and quite fighty and mean it's still enough it shares enough of the other boxes that will often play it as a comfort game at the end of the day though i can also get in the head 
space where we're playing with you know fellow decision space community members listeners in the tournament the tournament setting to me at that point much less a comfort game right yeah like context right. matters here too i think a little bit yeah yeah and i like what you said also about even though it doesn't tick all the boxes it ticks enough of the boxes where yeah. i think that's right also you know if there's sort of seven things here that we have listed that make something likely to be a comfort game it's probably pretty rare that something is going to act you know exactly hit all of them but if there's three or four or five or six more likely to to fit in that category at least for us with the perspective we're sort of coming to games from yeah i think the next big question jake you know so i feel like right now within the the board game communication community space there's this burgeoning discussion that sort of because of maybe the rise of comfort games and how celebrated those have become critically there's this sort of response that of a dissenting opinion that's sort of like no interactive games are the best thing that exists in board games i only want to play interactive games all the time i don't have a, a any desire to play non-interactive games i'm disinterested in them as a pursuit uh, which is interesting this sort of like response in some ways and i think you know at different points in time what's in vogue and popular shifts so i think the rise of comfort games has led to this rise of this response of oh i only like interactive games and not comfort games and for me i i don't know that i'm biased one way or the other i really love there's comfort games i really really love cascadia is one of my favorite games of the last five years i've played it over a hundred times and it's a, a way that i really enjoy playing games but you know we always try to be transparent about our biases and where we're coming from uh, so i think it's important on the show to sort of talk about where our perspective of where we're coming into comfort games but at the same time i also don't always it's not the only type of game i'm interested in playing i also really like interactive conflict driven games that are a little bit heavier you know there's a season for for all games for me uh so, but I could see, you know, sometimes if I'm only playing comfort games, I'm sort of like, I need something with some teeth here, you know? Totally. Yeah, I think context is huge too, right? If it's me and my wife playing at the end of a workday, I might be biased towards playing a comfort game where if it's, you know, Monday night and I've got my group of laughing table friend gamers together, we probably want to do something a little more fighty, a little yeah. meatier, at least for like our main game of the evening. You know, I wouldn't see us very often, if ever, just playing... You you know, five or six filler games or, you know, one game back to back to back to back like you might do uh, with a partner kind of winding down. I think the conversation you bring up about sort of bias towards or against or a reaction to comfort games is an interesting point. I think there are a lot of different things that get swept up in the same conversation, like a lot of the reaction to the spiel and Kenner Spiel nominations this year seem to be more about like, are is this the appropriate weight of a game mm. for the different categories? Which I think kind of feels it's a different conversation, but sort of feels similar to that. In that, like back in the day, you know, games like I don't know, Voyage of Marco Polo or Tikal or whatever. El Grande. El Grande. These were the games that were getting nominated for Kenner Spiel Expert Board Game. Now it's Challengers, which is an awesome game, but magnitudes lighter. <laughs> than those ones before so i think there's there's that element to it and then i think another element to it is which is big which i've probably heard expressed the most is interactive games as the counterpoint to like multiplayer solitaire games which is basically i think like a, a slur <laughs> it's not really fair in a lot of cases you know yeah because I, I do think multiplayer solitaire typically gets used as like a pejorative way to describe comfort games yeah but yeah. it, I mean, any like Euro game that's maybe more systems driven and not just highly, highly interactive yeah. kind of can get thrown into that category. Like I think a lot of, you know, Steffenfeld games like, mm. you know, I don't know of a, a great example, but Trajan, I guess, is probably one that would stand out as a game that people would say is multiplayer solitaire. But I doubt it would be considered a comfort game by many, yeah. you know? Yep. Same. Yeah, totally. In the Year of the Dragon, not a comfort game. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, and also not multiplayer solitaire. But sure. So that's just to say, I think that there are like a lot of different kind of threads that get pulled into this conversation. And I think there's definitely a sense among some portion of the hobby that like interactivity is king. I've heard the sentiment expressed uh, in our discord when I was talking about, you know, how I've gotten more into like Kinesia games and people are chiming in like, yeah, like the inevitable pull towards like more interactive games. And that sort of annoyed me a little bit 
to be honest, just because like that doesn't just because I'm like enjoying these games, that doesn't mean I'm enjoying other games less or think that they're like inherently less valuable or that these Kinesia style games are inherently more valuable. It's just preferences at the end of the day. And I think it's kind of silly to sort of put objective value on one person's preferences over another's. Yeah, totally. I think Jake too, for me, one of the huge appeals of this sort of style of game of personal player areas, maybe simultaneous play, maybe, uh, especially with sort of games like Roland Rights or a game like My City, which is really, uh, it's it's a flip in place, but it's very much in the same mold as a roll and right? You have a shared input, you all get the exact same input, then you make a decision based on that, and you all have the same things you're using to do that. That's what feels like a lot like roll and right? One of the things I love about this style of game, where we all get the same inputs, we're playing simultaneously, same situation, is it's so fair. It's like the most fair board game that exists, because we're all getting the exact same inputs, we can make the exact same decisions, And there's no potential targeted interaction, right? Targeted conflict where someone perceives maybe in a game like to call, like you were mentioning, Jake, maybe early on you get a quick lead and we all perceive you're winning. So we proceed to kind of target what you're doing. And that's really fun to do sometimes, but it's not always fun to be on the receiving end of that. So maybe you play you get a lucky start into call that wouldn't have been like a game that will play out to actually be a winning position. But we perceive that to be the case. We have this interactive fun time and then your game kind of gets burned because you got out to an early lead. In a roll and write game, we all have that shared input. It's so cool at the end of the game to compare and see that, hey, I scored 120 points, but Jake somehow with the exact same inputs scored 160 points. There's so much room for me to improve at that game. And I think that that's, that's really neat. And it's a fun way to have a shared experience without having players be pulled down. That's like, I think when Roland Rights first were getting celebrated, that was this really lauded thing about them and has sort of fallen off in the discourse a little bit. But it's just, it's neat for me to sort of take a minute and appreciate that. And I think fairness is a really important of comfort games or perceived fairness. Totally. Yeah, I think to build off that there's an element in roll and write games specifically where everybody gets to play the exact same game you know where in heavier games oftentimes there's like different types of like action efficiency right so if i'm really proficient at a game system i just get to do more over the course of the game i'm hitting multipliers and you know getting more turn efficiency than you so i've just done so much more and actually played the game more than you over the course of it with a roll and write or flip and write game everybody plays the game the exact same amount over the course of the game and i think also is importantly in most of these games at least the ones i would think are my favorite in the genre you're not scoring intermittently it's just everybody plays the whole game and then it's over and it's like you go around the table like hey how'd you do which i think is really nice too because there isn't really so much the sense of like oh this game is kind of lost for me or whatever that can make it kind of pull you out of just like enjoying what you're doing yeah at least for me i find that in these games it's really easy just to take a step back and i'm just trying to do the best that i can and that's all i have to worry about and that is i think comforting in a lot of ways totally interestingly too i find you know i'll play a roller right on my own very seldomly Uh, i've done it a few times where i'm like hey i'd be i'm i want to experience this game there's no one to play with. I'll play a quick roll and write on my own. Uh, almost all roll and write games you can do that with, but I'm much less interested in doing that. I think sometimes comfort get, games get presented as being a, not a social experience. Like you just sit there and you do it on your own. But at least from my own play pattern, that's not true for me. I'm much more interested in playing one of these games when I'm playing next to someone and we can share in the experience of the cards that get flipped together and i love being able to compare my score at the end and it's a fun moment to sort of be like hey what decisions did you make how can we do that differently and i think that is a part of the appeal there's some comfort games where it if there isn't simultaneous play uh sometimes it can be frustrating to wait for other people's turns so cascadia is a game that i really love uh but i like it so much more as a two-player game where it's a smidge more interactive and i'm taking turns more frequently than i do as a four-player game where it tends to drag and it's a little bit longer and my decisions are slightly less link to everyone else so for me when games comfort games get longer i either want turns to get shorter or i want there to be simultaneous play in the games just because one potential problem you can get with is if it's if games aren't interactive 
on your turn, when it's not your turn, there's not a lot that you can engage with typically. It's sort of like, a let's wait to see what I can do on my turn. I think there's interesting things that happen with kind of communication with each other over the course of the game, depending on the structure, where in a simple flip and write or roll and write game like My City or whatever, as soon as you're done, you're sort of free to start chatting with other people at the table, which is something that I really welcome in a comfort game. Whereas you don't really do that as much in a like a clockwise turn order because it's just kind of rude, right? Sure. Somebody's like taking their turn and the other three players are chatting where it might be a little draggy if you're playing my city and one person is taking longer than everybody else, but there's no social pressure or magic circle pressure to like witness what they're doing. So it's fine to just kind of chill and chat while the person who's taking the longest is taking their turn. And I think that also makes it a more comfortable experience too. If you're the person that's sort of like, okay, guys, I just need a second to figure it out. It's like, yeah, that's fine. Like we're having a great time over here. Totally. For me, Jake, one thing that sort of can help help ameliorate that problem is when if it's not simultaneous play if what other players are doing is really exciting so if there's things that people can accomplish within the game system that are remarkable that pull everyone in all of a sudden i'm like back and i'm engaged and i'm like oh wow how is that strategy going to play out for this player and how's the input randomness of their decisions going to work in this situation so one example for that to me is i really enjoy watching other people take turns in dominion uh, especially if they have a particular sort of combo-y style deck it can be fun to watch those turns play out uh, to see how other people's strategies are working and kind of glean information about oh if i would have made this decision maybe it would have played out this way for my deck so it's a learning experience on the other end of the table especially because maybe there's some turns that i'm really engaged in like wow you're popping off and there's other turns where it's sort of like oh that was a dud turn it's fine i'll just disengage for a minute yeah i've got another question for you brendan this one we didn't have on our list but i wonder how you feel about randomness in the game i think for a game at least for me to fit well in the comfort game category there needs to be especially for a competitive game like i want there to be a healthy dose of randomness in the game because i feel that for me that makes it a lot easier for me to just sort of experience the game let it sort of wash over me and just play than if something is more like calculatable right doing math trying to like figure it out which is why i think something like azul doesn't fit great for me because i feel the need to like sort of math out okay i go here then you go there then i'll go there and that means you'll be stuck with the big tile pile at the end yeah versus something like my city or quicks where it's kind of like roll the dice and okay great i can i'll just do what i can with this yeah does that make sense it makes a ton of sense i think that that's a huge a really important observation jake because it's sort of like the it lowers the stakes of the decisions you're making because there there isn't sort of this kinetic potential of like i need to solve the board state based on what's here i have a bunch more information that i can take an advantage of there's a little bit of that at times right like you want in a game like welcome to because the deck is pre-known maybe you make a certain observation of like oh there haven't been very many pools that have come out yet i and all of this values come out so i think that it's unlikely that i should go for pools this game because it's going to be the just the values aren't going to line up for me or something like that but for the most part you can kind of just take the best move in front of you and let that wash over you and i think that's hugely important yeah i like the term low stakes a lot yeah i think when we kind of look at our list of like what are comfort games easy to play intuitive to play easy to set up light rules overhead low conflict easy to play back to back sense of accomplishment personal zones randomness like a lot of those things combine to sort of lower the stakes for players so i think that's sort of an overarching theme of this i also wonder if low effort kind of fits in here too i think that kind of goes hand in hand with low stakes but i mean there could be a game that is low stakes but would still require like a lot of searching or something like that to find the best move and you wouldn't want that either that would sort of clash i think with the low stakes vibes i feel like it's like low stakes low effort but still fun is sort of my kind of ideal comfort game yeah i think your point about search which is this like concept that we've talked about in the past where the game presents tons of options to you and part of playing the game is identifying the right move uh 
that sort of like comes up in classic games like chess and is also apparent in games like Carcassonne where the the board just grows to be so big that you there's lots of potential spaces that you can use. I think search is just a taxing experience. It can be really rewarding if you solve that puzzle and find the most optimal move, but it's not always the most comforting of like, now in my turn, I got to use all this brain power to find the, the best move. And maybe it only gives me one additional point. Like that's not, yeah, that's not totally what we're talking about. Right. It's, that's why I think a lot of comfort games, a lot of roll and write games present, okay, here are the two choices that you can make. Do you want to go down path A or path B, right? Yeah. And you almost don't want there to be like follow-up consequences from those choices. Yeah. Because anytime you have like, okay, I'll do this, which means that I'll have these options afforded to me, right? All of a sudden that like amplifies the search so much because you're like tracing decision trees through, right? You sort of, yeah, like want those sort of each decision just like gating the decision in front of it. Like that's why a roll and write game is so perfect for this because you don't know what dice is going to be rolled next or in my city. Yeah, you can think ahead a little bit, but you don't know what card is going to be turned over next. So yeah. it gives you sort of the freedom to just make the decision with that tile and then, you know, go on to the next one. And it's not to say that some search can't be present in comfort games either, right? Like Cascadia has some search. There's finding where the best place to put the tile is and then the best place to put your animal tile on top of one of those. But a neat thing about that game is there's sort of a cap on the amount of search potential there is because you always just have three places you could put an animal tile the way that the tiles come out in that game. So there's this sort of floating limit uh, and it might be larger or smaller because the number of animals that can go on each tile uh, within that game shifts. There's tiles that just fit one animal and some that fit up to three. So it's cool because there's going to be times in that game where your search is even lower or your search is even greater. Uh, but it keeps this sort of upper ceiling, this upper limit on how much searching you would have to do in, in a game, which I think is a smart design decision in a game that's trying to move towards being a comfort game uh, and is something that someone could apply to a game if you sort of designed it a game that was more personal and you realize, oh, this game's close to being a comfort game, but the search is just too high. Maybe there's a way to add some sort of limiting mechanism that reduces the number of options players have on their turn that all of a sudden pushes it towards being a little bit more of a comfort game than something that's more taxing and less likely to be there. Uh, and there's room for the other sort of game, right? It's just like a more puzzly, heavier type game that's going to be less likely to be a comfort game for people. Yeah, let's touch on theme just really quickly, if that's okay with you, because sure. I think that a lot of games are now more than ever marketed as comfort games and you can sort of tell a lot by the theme right that during we talked about the pandemic being a kind of a moment for comfort games and there and shortly after there are all kinds of games about house plants you know yeah. and sort of like gardening and these sort of soft themes that are very far from like colonialization and fighting wars and i think that's trying to clue people in to hey this is a comfort game and i do think there's something to a comfort game that can be amplified by a theme that isn't you know it's hard for me to think like a war game could ever be a comfort game because of the theme being yeah. you know something that's you know difficult to think about whereas a game about flowers gardening tending to animals building a uh, home, whatever, right? All these things are, are a lot softer, are going to be appealing to a wider swath of people and perhaps, you know, more accessible to people outside of just like white cisgendered males who always have been sort of the main target audience for the hobby. So I think that's really great. But I think an important caveat, the, the theme alone, of course, doesn't make something a comfort game. We've both played Arboretum, which is a, a game about building a pretty little forest that's just, it's honestly like, I think it's a genius design, but it's just too stressful for me it's yeah yeah and it, it is yeah it's so mean it's very calculable it's not a comfort game for sure jake i want to emphasize your point by reading the description the start of the description from dorf romantic the spill the r's nominee that we talked about at the start of the show rippling rivers rustling forests wheat fields swaying in the wind and here and there a cute little village that's dorf romantic like Totally. Like it just it espouses this pastoral, relaxing world that is sort of a, a, a made up thing, I think, in a lot of ways, right? Like even our idea of this like relaxing pastoral world is sort of actually maybe not quite that's yes, how that but, experience would be, but it's a nice world to get swept into. Yeah. And I think if the game appeals to you in terms of theme, but also just like the aesthetic design of it, like I like the art or I like the components or, you know, it feels fun to, to fiddle with things. 
um, I think that can go a long way to making something feel more comfortable. Yeah. Should we get into talking about our list of games maybe, Jake? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I'm just going to start, I guess, with some of the games on my list I've already talked about. So I want to start with Cascadia. Uh, and instead, I've already talked about it a lot. Cascadia is a, a entangled drafting decision game in which you're drafting terrain tiles and then at the same time, drafting animals to go onto those tiles. I think for me, one of the things about Cascadia that's uh, so comfort makes it such a strong comfort game uh, is the sense of progression and pacing in that your plans, once you make a few decisions, your plans and what you want to do become really clear. So the game becomes about trying to execute on those plans. So once your early decisions kind of shape what you will want to do, uh, and then you've kind of codified, right? Once I have a few salmon, I probably just want more salmon. And that's probably the best thing I'm going to do. And the just the core gameplay loop of like, I don't have to worry about money. I'm not paying anything. I'm just taking two tiles and adding to what I'm doing is fun. And then I'll also add the sort of puzzly element of where the train goes is fun and kind of almost evokes. It's not a puzzle because you can just choose you're choosing where you're putting things and there's real decisions there. There's no right place to put anything, uh, but it almost evokes like a rainy day putting a puzzle together from being a kid that I don't love as a comforting experience. It feels a little, uh, I don't know, I just rather play a game. So for me, Cascadia kind of espouses that same kind of puzzliness while still being a game. So that's that's a lot of fun. It's relaxing. Nice. Are we going to like go back and forth yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The first game on my list is a game that really doesn't fit super well into the comfort game categories we've been talking about before, which is why I think it's a good example of you know how broad this can be. And for me, that's Castles of Burgundy. Yeah. I always describe this as my comfort game because it's the game I've played just the most. Uh, it's most comfortable to me when I'm playing this online uh, and can take like asymmetric turns where the searching becomes just kind of more of a joy than a chore i don't feel any kind of time pressure to make my move but also i've played it so much that the searching is usually really quick like i have such a refined heuristics toolkit uh, that i can usually come to a good if not the best answer really quickly um and it's just a game like, you know, was my favorite game when I first got into the hobby. So I have fond memories of it. And I think it's just a game that always, for me, is going to feel like warm and fuzzy to play. Though I wouldn't necessarily say everyone should find this game warm and fuzzy or, or whatever uh, it is for me. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting one too, Jake. And I think one thing that saves Castles of Burgundy for me, so I say saves, as in this, saves in this context of being yeah. a comfort game, is the input randomness of you roll the dice and then you take an action based and what's there really limits how much planning you can do. Obviously, there's there's this mechanism of workers where you can use workers to change the value of your dice that add a little bit more planning. And But so much of that just means like every turn you're just rolling the dice and finding the best move that's there uh, in a way that, I don't know, kind of it lowers the stakes a little bit because as a player who really enjoys Houses of Burgundy, but I'm not the best, I can almost shield my ego behind that of like, oh, the dice rolls were just really bad for me. So that's why I didn't score really well. Well, you know, yeah. and I think that's an element of why input randomness can be comforting as well is because there's the potential, especially when it's not shared, of just being like, my roles weren't quite as good. Totally. I hadn't considered this until we did this topic, but it actually shares a lot in terms of core gameplay loop with the next game on your list. It's just a way more complicated version of it. The next one on my list is My City, uh, The Eternal Game, which is a tile lane game by Reiner Knizia. I don't think he has a lot of comfort games in his oeuvre, in his ludography, but this is definitely one of them. Uh, My City is you have a, a grid board in front of you, you flip a card from a deck, and then everyone puts the piece, the little polyomino piece, depicted on that onto your own boards, and you're trying to achieve some shared goals and objectives. I say the Eternal game because the Legacy game is changing so much. It's adding rules yeah. and taking away rules that there's a lot more complexity there that makes it a more exciting experience and a little bit heavier to play. But the Comfort game, once you've internalized the rules, very very light, easy to play back to back to back. Maya and I have just sat there and played five, six games of this in a row. Uh, and loved every minute of it. But why does it remind you of Castles, Jake? Just because uh, both games have sort of a random element and then place a tile, right? I, mean, I wouldn't, I would yeah. never describe Castles of Burgundy as a role and place game, but, it's but it is. is. That's yeah. sort of what you're doing. Um, both games give you, you know, a random input, and then you place 
you're going to use that to place stuff on the board at the end of the game. You're going to have something that you've accomplished. So th- that's sort of where the similarity stops. But yeah. uh, I do think there is a similarity there. And I mean, if my city wasn't on your list, I was going to add it on mine. I think the thing that makes this such a great example of a comfort game and where I think some other of Kinesia's games could fit in, I almost considered lost cities mm. for mine my list is that it has such a good rhythm right where you yeah. can just get into a flow state and i think anytime you're in a flow state it is it's a, almost a different type of comfort you're just fully immersed in a game experience and also i like the fact that you can explain what you know how to play the game in a sentence right yeah or two, you're going to flip over a card and then you're going to find that tile and place it on your board. All the complexity is in the scoring at the end, which players do have to sort of keep in their head or whatever. Um, but you can onboard people so fast, making it an easy game to table and, and teach. One thing that jumps out to me now that we're talking about this, Jake, about comfort games in this vein uh, that works so well. I, you experience this in Castles of Burgundy. You experience this in My City and in Rolling Rights is planning a short term or a long term goal and then succeeding in that goal is really fun and rewarding and comforting. It's comforting to have a plan and then have that plan come to fruition. And in my city, there's times where that doesn't happen because there's a card that won't always come out. But oftentimes you do a lot of short-term planning in that game where you know, okay, when this piece gets flipped, I'm going to put it here. When it gets flipped, you put it there and it just feels good. It's just comforting to see that coming, to wait for it and to do it. It's this instant feedback that's just rewarding and nice and kind of affirms like, yeah, you got this. It's like the game giving you a pat on the back. So I think that's another important thing to highlight too. And I think that Partially why that works so well in these comfort style games is that going back to the same reason, there isn't interaction. No one else is messing up your plans, right? It's not like that's what partially I think why this these games grew to so much prominence during the pandemic is like the global environment was messing up everyone's plans. And this is a, a space that you could exist where no one can mess up your plans. And that's nice to just like have a plan and have it come together. Yeah, absolutely. So the next game on my list is Quix, the very simple roll and write game where you're rolling dice, uh, the active player rolls some dice, and then everybody simultaneously uses those dice to mark off ascending numbers on a sheet of paper. Incredibly simple. And this is probably the role, my favorite roll and write game. And I think the reason it is my favorite is because of the fact that it's the best comfort game of the bunch. I can look at this objectively from my game reviewer hat and say, oh, wow, my, you know, uh, Welcome to has a lot more interesting mechanisms happening here uh, or cartographers, which we reviewed. Similarly, wow, what a cool like innovation for this. But neither of those games are nearly as comforting for me as playing quicks because it's just so stripped down. Um, And this is a game that typically comes out when I'm hanging out with visiting my family back home in Kansas or I have friends visiting here. And it's a fun game you can play, but you're also able to talk and just hang out and have a good time. And, And I think that is so much the experience that I'm wanting in a roll and write game like this. Like I'm wanting that comfort game experience, even if I hadn't necessarily put it into those words, uh, which is why it sort of takes the cake for me in the category. Uh, and it's the one I, I always go back to and, and recommend. And I think for me, the game that I always go back to in the roll and write genre that I like to recommend is Trails of Tucana, which is a, a roll and write game in which you're filling up a map, trying to create a network of routes between locations. And while you're making those routes, you're trying to stop at important spots along the way, uh, connecting different sites, uh, like interesting yetis or monoliths or toucans on the island. Uh, so you're creating this little map in front of you. And Trails of Tucana has a little bit of interaction because there's shared goals and the first player to achieve one of those goals is going to get more points for doing that and i think that little element of making it a race game gives the game the right sense of pacing and excitement and momentum for me uh And for me, Jake, I love Cartographers, but Cartographers is a roll and write game that for me jumps out of the comfort game genre into something else because of the potential for the ambush cards where you're writing on other people's paper. To me, that takes it out of the genre enough where it's like if I'm just playing Cartographers on my own, it can feel like a comfort game. But if someone's reaching over onto my sheet and messing me up, it probably isn't. But Trails of Tacana is great. Played it like 50 plus times. I would keep playing it. I'm excited that there's a follow-up game coming. uh, So that should should be neat. 
and I'm excited to check it out. One more thing on roll and write games. I was just thinking about, I think the fact that you get to draw yeah. on your own sheet is in and of itself a comforting experience. It's fun watching how different people make marks. You know, you can doodle on the side of the board while you're waiting. You can do whatever you want. When we play Quicks as a family, we always have this like giant bowl of crayons for some reason. So it's just watching the way different people use that. So my mom literally like, you know, fully colors in her each of her boxes with like sort of a medley of different colors like overlaid on top of each other and kind of creates this like crazy looking sheet where I'm more of like X, you know, just like I'm just like the mechanics of the game, you know. Uh, So it's fun to watch different people's uh, personalities come out. And I think drawing is such a comforting way to relax for people. It's nice that these personal, you know, disposable sheet games sort of encourage that. Yeah. Creativity is comforting. All right. The next game or games I have listed is just a group of games. And this kind of gets back to the discussion we hinted at at the very beginning about our party games comfort games and i think they can be the ones that i have listed here are so clover just one and code names all feel very much in the comfort game category for me and i think the distinction that we can make in the party games or i would propose to make in the party games category is sort of how much excitement they Mm. lead to at the table and i think some party games or there maybe just two distinctions i think some party games are just too exciting too raucous to really be like this is a really comforting experience and i think these word games while they can have funny exciting moments like they're also sort of just thinky enough and give people the space to all of these games have a moment where everybody's just silently thinking together which i think is nice and i think these are also fit because they're a great way to introduce people to the hobby and make people feel comfortable because if you haven't played modern board games before very likely you've played wordle or scrabble or some other word game so i think having that sort of word association especially from people who are native english speakers is is something that a lot of people feel comforted by or you know that they can approach more readily than something with that looks more like a modern board game yeah i think for me i'll put these games on a spectrum of most comforting to least comforting okay just one most comforting you can totally turn yourself into like a little word potato who just gets to laugh and be clever and it's so low stakes i've i always start playing this game jake by keeping score as the rule book intends and then we just end up playing endlessly and sure, like whatever yeah. you know like i always have best intentions and then it just falls apart so we're having so much fun i've played you could just sit around and play just fun for hours so it's like to me yes absolutely so clover slightly less comforting just because one person is in the seat of judgment at times right where it's sort of yeah. like did i did i communicate well enough that you're gonna understand but i agree it can be very comforting to sit there and create this little puzzle for your for your friends to solve or your family members to solve and then to all come together cooperatively to solve that and then on for code names at the very end of the spectrum i yeah. see how this could be a comfort game but the one thing that jumps out to me most is it's a team game so there's a little bit of little bit of like oh if you guess the other team the stakes feel slightly higher and then also the thing that amps the stakes up so much is that assassin card oh, so yeah, that instant loss hiding like, in the I background totally forgot about that yeah to me it makes it less comforting because i'm yeah. always like oh what if i hit it i think you're right i, I think definitely just one so clover are more comforting too i just always feel like these are kind of all these games sort of go together in my headspace. So yeah, I include them all. Also going back to fun facts or whatever, why that isn't a comfort game to me is that it kind of fits in this category of party games. That's like, let's learn something about our friends. People are sort of revealing truths about themselves. There's, there's a whole genre of games. I think true colors is, is an example of a game where people are like, you know, who's the most likely in the group to do X, Y, and Z. And I think anytime that you're asked, Asking somebody to like reveal something about themselves uh, or like a you know tell a truth whatever that's clearly gonna make some people uncomfortable sharing so like those games i think are great and really fun but i would never put them in like the comfort game category because they're asking people to like put themselves out there same totally. with like time trial games or or games where you have to like perform something in front of people all those are great party game mechanisms but uh, you know as far to like the other side of the spectrum as comfort games as you can get yeah totally agreed for me the next one that comes to mind is dominion this dominion is interesting it's deck building game it's sort of the er deck building game uh and the one that became the footprint for all the deck building games to come there's versions of dominion that have more interactive cards when i'm playing that way it doesn't feel as much like a comfort game like if maya has 
a bunch of witches and she's sending curses my way constantly. Uh, that's not very comforting. But because you play with a random set of 10 cards, I think it is, if you have a set that's fairly lightly interactive or not interactive at all, that's a very comforting experience to me that feels very similar to the sort of like shared inputs of a roll and write game where you all have this set of cards that you could be picking from uh, and then you're going to do your best to build the best deck you can. Dominion's an easy game to play back to back also to get in that flow. And I think that's sort of what pushes it there for me. And there have also just been periods of my life where I've played Dominion and Dominion Hinterlands for hundreds and hundreds of games. Uh, so it absolutely became a comfort game for us. And like I said, certain expansions, I think, push more away from the comfort game space and others lean into it. So it depends on what flavor of Dominion you're playing. Nice. Next up for me is Sagrada. I said that Azul isn't really a comfort game for me. I think Sagrada is sort of that abstract almost cascadia-esque category of games that uh, my wife and i go to a lot i think the things that make sagrada work is is that it amps up the randomness even more you're always rolling dice out of the bag and uh i think you roll like 10 dice each round and the color really matters the numbers really matter uh so you can sort of you know to to your point about castles of burgundy when you your plans don't come together you say oh well tough luck this time you know let's let's play it again and i also just like the mixed media nature of it you've got kind of the translucent dice that slot right into the two layer player boards uh you've got the little uh clear i don't know what they're called like token they're like glass i think mm. i've heard them described it's called like dragon tier or something like huh. these glass beads or whatever and it's they're just like a nice nice little mixed media objects that are fun to hold and play with and sagrada's it might not be the perfect game it might not be my favorite game but every time i play it it's like a nice experience and it, i always think like man i could have designed this it's like one of the ones that make you kind of smack yourself on the back like how did i let this one get away it's so yeah. obvious <laughs> sagrada is not one i've played but one i would love to play it's just so beautiful and inviting looking it's sort of stained glass church window theme mm, so good. yeah the next one for me jake is i'm trying to highlight games that we haven't covered as much on the show i guess at the back half uh so castles of mad king ludwig this is a tile laying game in which each player at the table is trying to uh, draft tiles from a shared display to create the the best castle possible so you're pursuing these different types of tiles that all have different constraints of things they want next to them or don't want next to them as you puzzle out unlike a lot of tile laying games the tiles are all different shapes there's rectangles there's octagons there's l-shaped pieces so you get this really organic feeling object that ends up coming out of it that doesn't feel as strictly geometric as something like a tiling game like a polyomino game so that's something i really love about the game the one interactive element is that and the cool thing about this is you all take turns being the quote-unquote master builder where you set the prices of the tiles that are out there uh, and then the master builder is the player that drafts last so if there's a specific tile they really want they can make that very expensive but maybe someone will still buy that before it gets there and any tiles that aren't purchased a little money gets placed on them so they're discounted for the next round uh, this is another one that once you've internalized the rules is really easy to play back to back a lot and also you just whether you win or lose you have a cool looking castle in front of you that you can tell a neat little story about uh, all the rooms have different names so it's fun to imagine the people that inhabit your your castle nice we haven't talked about cooperative games very much here but i think a lot of times cooperative games are almost like a cheat code for yeah, being yeah, a comfort totally. game just all of a sudden we don't have to fight we can work together to achieve something some some are more stressful than others of course you know oh my god we're gonna die oh we're all gonna die for sure isn't necessarily the most comforting <laughs> experience and that's something i feel a lot when i'm playing eons end but still it's one i wanted to include on this list because there it's sort of most of my the games in my collection are competitive games that's definitely what i tend to gravitate towards but there are nights where i just hey if i just think like i just want to relax this is one that i'm really likely to pull off my show myself and teach people it, it makes it a little easier to teach because it's cooperative so you can sort of just if it's new players sort of shuffle up and just start going and we can just play open-handed for the first couple of rounds as a great way to onboard people and because it's cooperative that's totally fine uh it's nice to work together store you know it's nice to be told a story as you play a game if that's an, another experience we haven't talked much about but i think like a strong narrative storytelling experience is something that can be really comforting too for for different reasons than what we've been talking all about so i did want to highlight eons end as sort of the 
the cooperative comfort game for me. Uh, and yeah, it's a good one. It also, Jake, has the neat mechanic where your discard pile gets put directly on top of your deck, right? Mm-hmm. So that has kind of the similar planning ability where you can set up a, a combo or a good sequence of cards for yourself and then know that's coming, which I think is comforting, knowing what you need uh, or knowing what you've set up, like having that information and knowledge provides a certain degree of comfort. So that's kind of a neat pairing there. And we're all in it together, win yeah. or lose. Yep. Though I will say, you know, also all in it together in pandemic, but that game can be not comforting at times for sure. I'm, yeah. And I wonder if like uh, that might be a theme element too. Yeah. The stakes are so much higher. It's just it's like world. a little bit realism versus yeah. like mages fighting interstellar whatever yeah or something totally i think that's a great yeah great point for me the final game i want to highlight is king domino king domino is just this charming little tiling tile drafting game in which you're drafting dominoes that are all these different train types this was actually a spiel dr's winner from a previous year uh so another example of maybe this trending in that direction in the regular version of the game the stakes are incredibly low you're building this five by five grid with a little castle in the middle there's a mighty dual variant that you can play with two people where you play a slightly larger seven by seven grid that's slightly less of a comfort game but i think for me still a comfort game it's again the stakes are really low it's lightly interactive in a way that makes it slightly more compelling and it's quick so it's easy to play again king domino is awesome if you haven't tried it it's on board game arena just give it a try and the last game on my list is savannah park right now i'm sort of between savannah park and my city as my favorite gateway games for new gamers I, i usually just bring them both out and say which one of these do you want to play? Savannah Park rocks. Uh, it has an incredibly simple gameplay where you're just literally just choosing one tile and then everybody searches their board for the tile that matches it. Maybe it's the three zebra tile and then you move it to somewhere else on your board, flip it over and you play until all tiles have been moved and then you just count up scoring. So, so easy to onboard people. Has a very approachable and you know comforting theme of just different animals moving around uh and for so many of the other reasons we've talked about you're sort of building your own space people can mess you up or whatever but ultimately all your decisions are your own and independent of what comes next so it it, to me it's like a 10 out of 10 comfort game uh and one that i really recommend more people check out keesley and kramer and that's another one that you play with the exact same pieces as everyone at the table every game which i think that's that's comforting in and of itself also just like i'm equipped with the same tool what can i get done yeah it's so, not yeah. a it's not a flip in place roll and write game but it feels similar. like the core gameplay loop is really similar to that yeah. style of play Awesome. Well, I think this was a great episode on comfort games. I would love to hear what you think of comfort games. What are your comfort games uh, that you tend to go to? Is there an aspect of comfort games that we missed out on? If you would like to to respond to those questions, engage with us on them a little bit, I invite you to come do that in our Discord, which you can find a link to in our show notes below uh, the description of this podcast. Discord is just like a chat room that anyone can access in their browser. There's hundreds of people who listen to the show uh, just like you and love games just like you uh, so come check it out and talk with us awesome well thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of decision space as always we'd like to thank hembry for our intro and outro music of uh, their hit song reach out and until next time have a great week and we'll see you right back here on decision space goodbye bye y'all come tonight.